today on the Rising Coaches Podcast. And I just go back to the time of how it's exploded in Georgia. When I played high school basketball, there were three AAU teams, Georgia Stars, Team Georgia, uh, and Atlanta Celtics. And that was it. Thanks for listening to the Rising Coaches Podcast. This is Adam Gordon. And today's episode is a special edition of our Member Spotlight. Each week, we select four members to be spotlighted and get to know a little bit more about them, what makes them tick, how they got into the profession, and what their career aspirations are. As the saying goes, it's not about who you know in this profession, it's about who knows you. To be considered for our member spotlight, simply join Rising Coaches. Visit risingcoaches.com and sign up for a membership today. All of our members get an opportunity to participate on the member spotlight. So please consider signing up so that we can get a chance to get to know you a little bit better. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and please follow along with what we're doing on risingcoaches.com. Today's podcast is brought to you by the Rising Coaches Association, the biggest coaching tree in all of basketball. Sign up for the Rising Coaches Association now for just $120 a year and become part of our community relationships, and development. We talk about it all the time. There's no straight lines in this profession. There's only ups and downs. You need a community that knows exactly what you're going through and has been there before to help lean on during the rough times of the industry. You need genuine relationships, not just exchanging numbers, not just meeting new people uh, at the Final Four in the off season. You should be doing it all year round, and we provide tremendous opportunities to create those genuine relationships all through the year. And finally, development. We have so much content and so many resources so that you can work on your craft and become a better coach. Because we put such a premium and an emphasis on helping you establish new, genuine relationships, it takes all of the political BS side of the business out of the equation for you. All of that gets removed off of your plate. You can just worry about being you, making new friends in the business, and working on your craft and becoming the best coach that you can be and impacting the people that you're around on a daily basis. For more information, visit risingcoaches.com slash membership on risingcoaches.com. All right, welcome back to another edition of the Rising Coaches Member Spotlight. Excited uh, about our episode today, joined by our good friend Cabrell Huff, head coach at Voorhees College. Coach, what's up, man? How are you? I'm good, man. It's always good after a win now. Uh, so I'm uh, really good. So excited to be on, man. Uh, amazing how winning kind of helps everything, right? <laughs> right, right. Especially in these times, you know, getting a W with only uh, seven days of practice is uh, a testament in itself. <laughs> yeah, no question. So you guys obviously won last night. Mm-hmm. Um, was that your first? How, how many games are What's your record this year? That one and oh. First one and oh. <laughs> you guys are undefeated. I love yeah. it. And hopefully we can do that, uh, say that again next week. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, Cabral, before we, we get into, we'll talk a little bit more about this year and, and Voorhees and, and just your transition there and, and everything that has gone on this season. But before we do that, let's get to know you a little bit better. Um, maybe tell us a little bit about your background, where you're from uh, and how you got into coaching. Definitely. Uh, born and raised in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, played basketball um, in high school, uh, got hurt in high school, uh, so ended up going to Morehouse College, which is probably the best thing that happened uh, in my life, and it, it formed who I am as a man, it formed who I am as a person, 
Um, so while I was at, at Morehouse getting my undergraduate degree uh, with a, uh, in, in English, I began to have this love for coaching. So I started coaching this church league team uh, where I went to church and they were only about two or three years younger than me. Um, and I found that love. So I said, well, to become a coach, maybe I need to become a teacher. Um, so I started taking education classes at Spelman, our sister uh, sister school. Um, but I wanted to graduate in four years, Adam. I wanted to uh, not go to summer school, graduate in four years. I had that goal. So they were like, well, it's probably going to take you another year to finish those education classes. So I said, no, nah, I don't want to do that. I'll just do Teach for America, uh, which uh, you go and they basically prepare you to become a teacher really quickly without the educational background. And then they prepare you to go to a place so you can actually get that teacher certification. So I did that and got lucky to get placed back in Atlanta. And that's really how I got started. That principal at the first high school, Booker T. Washington High School, said, you play basketball. You've had some coaches. Come be our JV basketball coach. And that kind of started it uh, now 21 years ago. Wow. Awesome. So where did your like how did your coaching journey progress through there? So from your from Booker T. Washington on. Booker T. Washington uh, was assistant there. Uh, got a chance to coach some 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 really high level guys there in both sports. And what I mean by that, we had a lot of football players that were good basketball athletes. Uh, guys like Rashad Jones, who's playing, who played in the NFL with the Miami Dolphins, George Robinson, who played uh, offensive line uh, for the Carolina Panthers, and Amadi McKenzie, who uh, I believe is in the top five of rebounding in Tennessee Tech school history uh, when he played there. So got a chance to coach those guys. Went on to Dutchtown High School, was the assistant there, and then got blessed with my first head coaching opportunity by the age of 28 at Cedartown High School, which is about an hour and 30 minutes outside of Atlanta where most people know Nick Chubb went there, who's running back for uh, the Cleveland Browns. And then when I was there, I kind of had this opportunity that was placed upon me to coach minor league basketball in the WBA and ABA. So before G League and all this happened, they had all these different basketball leagues around, um, minor league basketball leagues. And I had the opportunity to coach in, in two of those leagues. But Adam, you know how fickle those leagues can be. Money runs out real quick. So I started doing that right after the season at Cedartown. So it had to be around end of February, beginning of March. And by June, money had already dried up. So it was like, oh, I got to go find a regular job again. <laughs> right. Um, so I ended up taking this, this school that nobody said could, you should take it. They said, no, don't take that job. It's a dead-end job, Atlanta International School. Uh, we ended up winning uh, there, beat St. Francis High School and. I was determined to go back to Atlanta, Atlanta International School and, you know, build it. And uh, I was calling St. Francis to schedule a game. And the AD said, would you think about, you know, interviewing for our job here? And I told him, I said, well, let me think about it. I'll get back with you. And I hung up the phone at him and I said, no, nah, I'm not driving 45 minutes to go to Alpharetta every day. That's like two hours of my life with traffic in Atlanta traffic. Well, long story short, I do go to the interview. Uh, it's probably one of the best things that happened to, in my life as far as my coaching career uh, because at St. Francis, obviously, I was able to coach three guys who uh, have had parts in the NBA, Malik Beasley, who's with the Timberwolves, Kobe Simmons, who's with uh, was in the Charlotte Hornets organization, and Kaiser Gates, who was in the uh, Boston Celtics organization, among many other Division One guys and uh, won a state championship there, played in some high-level games and 
you know, had any and everybody walking through our gym, but I, I always had a goal of being a college coach. And, you know, I told some of those guys that who were coming to our gym, but I, I didn't use my players to get that job. I just used the hard work and what I was doing. And Mark Byington was the head coach at Georgia Southern, and he kind of saw the efforts that I was doing. And he calls me one day. It's the Thursday before Memorial Day. Uh, and he goes, Coach, I, I know you want to get into this profession. It's not exactly an assistant spot. It's a director of basketball operations spot. But it gets your foot in the door. You want to come down and talk to me about it tomorrow? Uh, yeah, I do. So I go down, I talk to him about it, and driving back, I knew it was what I needed to do. And I always tell people, it's, I say this right now, it's destiny over destination, uh, because I took a pay cut to get my foot in the door in college basketball. And, you know, that year, working under Mark Byington and with good assistants, Tim Kane, who's down at Murray State, Larry Dixon, who's at uh, South Florida, and Andrew Wilson, who's still at with, with uh, Coach Byington at James Madison, Learned a ton. We won 22 games, played for the conference championship. Although it was probably was the worst conference championship game ever. I think the final score was 37-35. That was State. you? I remember yeah. that game. <laughs> Georgia State beats us, but nobody wants to talk about it. We had to play the glass game the night before at 8 p.m. And then because of TV, the Sunbelt Championship was at 12 noon the next day. Come on, uh, Coach. 35 points is 35 points. And you had two of the highest-scoring teams in the league. And that's Who was it against? Part. Georgia State. So you had R.J. Hunter, Ryan Harrell, uh, those guys. And, you know, we had some battles, and it was never 35, 37-35 when we played during the regular season. It was just, <laughs> we couldn't buy a shot. So after that, got the opportunity to go with Montez Robinson. Uh, he was named the head coach of Alcorn State and um, able to go with him. And when we walked into a program that had some difficulty, everybody knows about APR. We were in APR. And, Coach Robinson gave me an opportunity to be the recruiting coordinator. Um, and we had to find ways to get it done because you couldn't recruit anybody that, you know, a high school kid that didn't have a 3.0 or um, a JUCO kid who didn't have at least a 2.5. So it put some parameters on what we were able to do. Um, but that season, we went 15 and 15, which was their first non-losing season in about 12 years. Um, and then the following year, even though I wasn't there, they played for the conference championship and lost in overtime to Texas Southern. Um, and things happen in life, you know, a lot of people think they see the glitz and glamor of, of college basketball and they think everybody makes a million dollars. Um, but as an assistant at, at lower level division ones, you don't. And so I still had my house in Atlanta and I couldn't, my tenant moved out and it was gonna be very tough for me to take care of two places. Uh, and I remember telling Coach Robinson, I just had to make the decision to, to move back to Atlanta Although I didn't want to, you know, I really wanted to stay in college basketball. Um, but again, it, it's about destiny. And I, I ended up taking a job at Duluth High School, um, which had not been a powerhouse in Atlanta. Um, kind of no consistency. And for the three years we were there, uh, my staff and I, we won 52 games, two Sweet 16s. Um, and uh, Adam Flagler, who's having a great career at Baylor, is a person that played for me. So... That kind of all led me to where I am now. Uh, spent one season at Holy Innocence last year. Uh, got a chance to work with my good friend, Tony Watkins, who was the athletic director. So when he called me to, to take that job, I, I was ecstatic because I felt it was a, a dream job as far as a high school job in the Atlanta area. I uh, never expected that this was going to come right now after one year of being there, after going to the Elite Eight, bringing everybody back. 
And here we are. I'm the head coach of Warhees right now. So I know that's a long story to get to it, Adam, but kind of just taking people down that path. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, let's talk a minute about Atlanta basketball as a whole. Uh, the the Talk about, you know, the level of talent that you have mixed with the, the great programs and coaches at the high school level and at the AAU level. Um, you know, how unique of a situation is that? And, and talk a little bit about that. Man, it's probably one of the places, one of the few places where you have a dynamic of the AAU and the high school culture coming together. And what I mean by that is that everybody's trying to help each other and trying to get these kids where they need to go. Um, we have not only the great shoe brand teams, when you talk about, you know, uh, the Georgia Stars or, or, or ALT or, um, and I can keep going down the line of, of, of Game Elite. You have all these, these teams, the, the, the shoe brand teams, but you got tons of independent teams that are really producing high level quality, whether it's the Georgia Canes, uh, and I can keep going. I don't want to keep naming them because they're going to say I missed somebody. You're going to forget um, somebody. Um, but there's so many of those that are out there. And I just go back to the time of how it's exploded in Georgia. When I played high school basketball, there were three AAU teams, Georgia Stars, Team Georgia, uh, and Atlanta Celtics. And that was it. Everybody else, was. if you didn't play one of those three, all right, go work out with your high school team. That was it. Now in Georgia, you've, you've got so many, but they're quality teams, and they help produce some of the – the greatest talent that's that's out there. You know, I talk about Booger T. Washington and my last year there, we were able to play Dwight Howard. And that team had Dwight Howard and it had Javaris Crittenton. And I remember just being on the other side of that and watching those guys play and you're going, man, those guys are really, really good. Like really good. So you you talk about that and, and single lay basketball. So if anybody knows anything about Atlanta basketball, single lay classification means just you have uh, don't have a lot of kids in your school doesn't mean how good your basketball program is. Right. Dwight Howard, uh, Randolph Morris, they played in the same single A division along with Whitfield Academy, who produced like Takel Cotton and, and people like that who played. You know, Eric Lockett, Kenny Gaines, who played at the, the major college level. So that AAU part is very big, and you turn it over to the high school part. And you talk about some of these big name programs that are always won. You know, whether you talk about Norcross from Eddie Martin to now Jesse McMillan, you talk about Miller. Well, you just talk about Sherman White, period. Uh, that that Miller Grove teams that he had to win the old state championships to even now him being at pace. Um, you can go down to, you know, I know we're talking about Atlanta, but you can go down a little further past Atlanta to, to, to some teams like in Statesboro. Um, Rest in peace, uh, uh, Lee Hill, who has some great teams down there. And I think that factor of how we produce guys and how they, they get to play with one another throughout the year, um, I don't think Georgia should be just considered a football state anymore. I, I think if you're paying any attention to what's coming out and who's on the floor everywhere across college basketball, Georgia and especially Atlanta area should be considered a basketball community, a basketball state, a basketball city. Probably yeah. top three, if I'm not. You know, top I, three? I mean, I know the people in New York and Cali and Texas will take offense to that, maybe even Chicago, but uh, I, I think Atlanta is top three. I mean, you're looking at – I mean, we can keep going down the list of guys. I mean, Jalen Brown, Malik uh, Beasley, uh, Wendell Carter, 
I mean, the draft this year had Isaac Okoro, you had Devin Vassil, uh, and I'm missing one more. Now, who, who's the other person I'm missing? Um, we have one more guy. I can't even think of it right now. Well, and like Devin Vassil, that's a perfect example of like not on a shoe team, yep. underrated prospect that nobody really yep. you know, thought was going to be what he is now. And then he goes to Florida State and grows six inches and <laughs> unbelievable career. Well, I don't know about the growth six inches. He was actually in my region when I was at Duluth. So I got a chance to see him up close and personal for, for two years. Uh, and, and he was putting up numbers. He was just, you know, people looked at his body and they were like, well, he, he's really skinny. And I was like, well, he's really skilled, too. Um, he, he was skilled. But he was like 6'1", six, 6'2", six, like going into his junior year, wasn't he? For junior year, yes. But his senior year... He was all bit six five. That yeah. I, I can bring out tapes of the battles. They would put him on Adam, and and they would they would go, but they would go at it. They had some great battles in high school. Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure. And now a quick break to talk about our partners at Doctor Dish. As off season approaches, it's the perfect time to upgrade your training equipment. At Rising Coaches, we highly recommend you to check out our friends at Doctor Dish Basketball. They are undoubtedly the best and most innovative training machines. Their newest model for schools, the Dr. Dish CT, is a complete game changer. It has a touchscreen that plays training videos, tracks stats by location, and incorporates on-demand workouts and drills from the top programs and trainers in the world. Check them out at drdishbasketball.com or on social media at drdishbball. Mention Rising Coaches before you purchase and receive an additional $300 off your next order. So you mentioned you've been doing it over 20 years now. Um, what is what is uh, the most rewarding part of coaching? What keeps you going? What keeps you doing it? Um, and, you know, you've been at different levels, too. So what are the things that you can carry over with you, whether you're coaching at the high school level, uh, small college, division one, whatever? Uh, probably what keeps me going is relationships. I, I think relationships are a big thing, whether it's relationships you have with your players, the relationships you have with guys, players, coaches, whoever in the basketball community and the relationships you have with other coaches. I think that's what keeps me going because number one, you can pour into them and they can pour into you. And, and, and somewhere that relationship is bigger than just basketball. Uh, I, I use this example only because I'm here right now. I took this job and I didn't get the job until November, Adam. So we're talking about really late in the game and you got to go find players, whether they're in the transfer portal or guys that are still out there, high school guys in a crazy year with COVID, trying to find somewhere to play because some teams, no matter what level, NAI, Division II, they weren't playing. They canceled their seasons. Um, so you had some guys that were out there looking. The fact that I coached two guys who are with me now, I coached them in high school at Duluth two years ago. The fact that our relationship, number one, was good enough that they would say, I want to still come play for you because they were playing someplace else. But they said they want to come play for me. I think that's the, the thing about relationships that we always have to, to understand. And, and we go back to the coaching part of it. I think the most re rewarding thing is getting those those calls just to see how you're doing from coaches you've been around, guys you've been around, former players. Coach, just checking in. Oh, you hadn't talked to you in a minute. You know, or, or when I got a FaceTime call from Kobe Simmons after it got announced I got the job here at Voorhees, like little things like that really matter. Um, and tell me that second part of the question, uh, Adam. Yeah, that was, I mean, you know, what keeps you going and what what kind of carries over regardless of level? 
And I think what carries over regardless of level is how you pour into people, how you can make them better. And a lot of times we only think about that on the basketball court, but it's really about how we can make them better. You know, with uh, with me, myself, it's how we can make them better men. Um, I think that's really important for what we're trying to do, um, especially right now with what we're going through. I mean, I can only imagine, just like you, Adam, like how would you feel not knowing where we're supposed to play tomorrow and at 6 p.m. where we're not playing again tomorrow or you were at a school that says, well, our season's canceled, you know, or you, you, you're ready for, you know, we all enjoyed our time in college. You wanted, I mean, as much as some people say they didn't want to go to class, you enjoyed the camaraderie of being on the college campus. But there are a lot of kids right now that aren't getting that opportunity. So I can only imagine what it means to really pour, to continue to pour into, the, into our guys and to people in general to help them get through this. So I think that's why relationships are so big with me. Yeah, that's great. Um, talk a little bit about some of the stuff you do off the court. You got a couple podcasts that you that you host. Give those a plug. Oh, uh, so uh, probably about three years ago, got a call from a guy named Andre Allen who was doing the Love of the Game podcast, which basically we wanted to highlight high school basketball here in Georgia. And uh, he actually called to interview me to talk about my team, and it led to being part of the show. And it went from being on our cell phones and recording on our cell phones to actually going in studio with SUV TV, which is a big brand that kind of broadcasts a lot of games, high school games everywhere, uh, to being in studio before COVID, to obviously learning how to use this platform we have right now, StreamYard, to, to still get through it during COVID. And, you know, when I got the job here at Voorhees, Mondre was like, he still wanted to make sure that we did something. So he then transferred, kept that show with the other three guys that we had on there. Uh, Dante Metlock, who's really a South Georgia guy, to really help us with the South Georgia aspect, and then Bryce Williams. So they kept that show, but we also branched off and kind of did a, a coaching podcast, my coach's podcast just here at Voorhees. So that's that's definitely been a really big one. And then probably the second thing is, just working with the MCA of Georgia. I'm not in South Carolina, but I'm still a part of Georgia. It's where I was raised. It's, it's where I did most of my dirty work, so to speak. So um, the Minority Coaches Association of Georgia, um, this whole pandemic, man, we just put on a, a lot of Zooms, a lot of chances for coaches to get better and still interact. We were, you know, having to be quarantined and stuck inside our house. And we had guys from Tom Crane to uh, Coach McGriff, the women's coach at Ohio State, to to uh, Bruce Pearl, um, just had a bunch of people that, that got on to, to really talk to us of all levels. You know, we even did an all-academic Zoom with Ivy League coaches where we got to hear from Harvard, we got to hear from Columbia, you know, things of that nature. We did HBCU uh, Zooms with Cam Daly, who got head coaches of HBCUs to get on and talk about their program. So that's been something that, that has been really big, and that kind of led me to you, Adam, um, when, when this – social injustice and, and civil unrest are happening and we kind of collaborated with, with, with yourself and brian burton and that that town hall that we did with a bunch of coaches i, I think really stood out uh, i mean it still stands out to me and it's been months ago yeah absolutely i, I was going to bring that up just you know your leadership during that time uh shortly after the the murder of george floyd and man what a crazy six months it's been or seven yeah. months uh and obviously based off the you know the the what went down last week at the capitol we still got a long way to go long. But, uh 
you really did step up into a leadership role during that time. And it seemed like you were, you were everywhere. You were on, on every zoom and uh, really bringing coaches together and the community together and leading some tough discussions. Was there hesitation to do that? Was that just something you knew right away you wanted to do? How did you get involved in being at the forefront of that? It's funny. Cause I, I remember when it was the, when all of it was coming out, I just kind of sat and I, I just had to reflect of what was needed at this time. And I, and I felt as coaches, we're people, no matter what sport you coach, and, I, and I'll just use basketball, we're the people that actually bring kids and people together, no matter what race, religion, ethnicity, they come together for one greater cause on a team. So who better to lead this cause of where we need to go to move forward than us as coaches? Um, and so I wanted to really stand out to make sure people understood what we need to say and what we need to do as coaches to be a reflection of what we want in this world. Um, I didn't I didn't know it was going to create that big a buzz when it started. Um, and to be honest, Adam, I, I still every day I'm, I'm still making sure it's at the forefront of how we need to change. And it's, to some, it may just seem like a simple tweet. Uh, but to me, I think the more we can put it on the forefront, the more we can can help enact change in this country. Because like I said in that initial uh, Zoom that we had, it, it, it's not a a person issue, but it's a heart issue. And we've got to really start to begin to get into the hearts of people around, especially the, the United States, but around this, this this world so we can be better people. Yeah, and you hit the nail on the head. And, and we talk about this all the time within our DEI Alliance meetings, nothing unites people like sports and music. Exactly. And here we are in the sports, you know, leaders in the sports profession. We got to use our platform, you know, for the cause. So exactly. I appreciate you being, you know, so outspoken in your leadership uh, during that time and continued, you know, through, through today. So I appreciate you. I mean, that, that was big. I mean, I think that really opened some eyes. We got some real, dialects and real conversation going on where, you know, on both sides, people saw things and, and heard things, were able to converse on things they probably had never talked about in the open before. And I think oh, that was really big. It was powerful. It was yeah. really powerful. Uh, okay. Uh, before we let you go, you got to talk a little bit about what you're doing with your team this season. You guys uh, just had one game. You're one and oh. Um how are you managing the chaos of the schedule changes and everything like that? Are you guys? It's um, I've used this quote before and I'll tell anybody who listens. This season is a season of adaptability and flexibility. Um, so we've got to be flexible and adaptable with everything from our players to the schedule to everything. So, for instance, I, I took a job in November where we weren't going to play until January which is a good thing in my opinion we, we, that we're playing, but none of my kids were on campus until January. So I've got guys that I can't meet in person until January. I've got to go recruit guys that I technically can't really meet if I didn't know them yet until January and bring this all together to, to get to January. I think that was January 4th was last Monday and begin to practice and get seven days in before you go play a game. And um, it, it's been a whirlwind, to say the least. But, you know, the best thing about it was seeing those guys last night step out on the floor, play for one another, and, and produce um, for, for for the school, you know, because that's what it really was is about. 
Um, and it was different. You know, no fans. The only people we have on campus right now are athletes, which means men and women's basketball, track and field and baseball for us here at a smaller college. Um, each person, each team kind of has their dorm. Um, there's no visitation. It, it's different. It's really different um, than what a normal college campus would be like during this time. But I, I think it goes to show how blessed we are to even have the privilege to do it because there's so many places that aren't able to play right now. You know, we've got a couple of kids who we got because their place, they weren't playing this year and they just wanted an opportunity to play. Um, so it, it's been a lot different, but, you know, very proud of my group, man, to say, to win that first collegiate game, I will always remember this group for that. I can tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm everything that's going on too. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Have you done anything different on the court with your guys because of, you know, the quick turnaround from the start of practice to your first game? Uh, you know, you have these ideas that you want to go two a days because they're not in school that first week you get back. And then you realize that once you really break your team down, you may have a freshman whose season got cut short in January. Well, you got a guy who's a returner. Their last game was like the end of February. Well, you got another guy whose season got cut short in the middle of January. So we literally had guys who had not stepped onto a court. You know, maybe they went to a gym, did some workouts. If their state was open and their city was open to do that. But how many guys went through a real collegiate practice? How many guys went up and down like in a hard practice in a year? A lot of them hadn't. So I had to really adjust on that on the fly, Adam. Like, all right, instead of doing two a days, let's, let's kind of break it down. And, you know, we, we still built from, from parts to whole. Um, just had to do a little bit quicker. Um, so I'm not going to lie. Some of the execution stuff wasn't very good last night. <laughs> but I was proud of our defense. Good, good. Uh, well, Coach, I appreciate you taking the time to jump on here. And uh, congrats on the win and good luck the rest of the season. Appreciate you, Adam. Love what you're doing with Rising Coaches, and I'll give you guys a plug. It's been, you know, I knew about you guys before, but I really dove in when the pandemic started, and I have met some great people um, through you guys, through through what you do. Your coaches, the coaches, uh, how you guys uh, connect people to reach out to people and just talk to them, that's been probably one of the best things about it. Forget the it's not even about networking to me. It's just about, you know, learning from others and, and what they're doing even through these immense, uh, these immense times has been great for me. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. And that, that definitely is, uh, you know, the zooms are great. The content's great. The speakers, but what you just said, the relationships you build, uh, is what this thing is all about and what makes it so unique and special. So I appreciate you being a part of it. No problem. Thank you. All right. Thanks Cabral. Good luck. Thanks. What's up, podcast fans? I want to share some information about one of our partners, Lucio Sports. The team at Lucio has built an integrated platform of coaching productivity and player development apps that are being used by some of the best basketball programs around the globe, helping everyone from NBA champions to youth development academies. Their innovative and competitive memorization games make it so much easier for new players and staff members to remotely get caught up to speed. With animated playbooks, drill libraries, player development planning and monitoring, engaging game plans and scouting reports, predictive play drawing, their content services team, and more, Lucio Sports has got you covered. From players to coaches to support staff and executives, use Lucio Sports 
to securely keep everyone in your organization on the same page with simple on-demand access to your team's entire knowledge base. For more information, check out luciosports.com. That's L-U-C-E-O sports.com.